I went in to one of my classes, taught the class, and as I'm exiting the class, it was like the apocalypse. I came outside, everything was dark, and there were just candles everywhere, people with candles, candles every singing and chanting. There were literally thousands of people on the street, and I had no idea this was about to happen. And so somebody explained, you know, they're just protesting against the political prisoners and they want them to come out, that kind of thing. More than anything, it's shown me that I'm really not fully a part of society. I'm still excluded because nobody sent me a WhatsApp message to say <laughs> there was going to be a protest. I was completely unaware. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. This podcast explores living abroad as a pathway to wellness for Black women and wellness in all aspects, professional, financial, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical. Welcome back to the show. And if you're new, hey, I'm Christine. I'm a Black American business strategist thriving here in Barcelona. And I'm the host, creator, producer, and just all around everythinger of this here podcast. This podcast is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And that's why I'm asking you to support this podcast. There are several ways for you to support Flourish in the Foreign. One, become a Patreon supporter of this podcast. You can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash flourish foreign. And shout out to our latest Patreon supporters. Yes. Thank you so much, Cynthia and Aisha. Thank y'all. Thank y'all so much. I appreciate y'all supporting this podcast. The second way you can support Flourish in the Foreign is by cash apping this podcast. You can cash app the podcast at dollar sign Flourish Foreign. And cash app is basically a tip jar. If you listen to an episode that really moved you, that you really enjoyed, you can go ahead and slip the podcast a couple of bucks just like that. Three, you can place an ad or sponsor an entire episode of this podcast. If you have a business or service, or perhaps you have an organization that's in alignment with this podcast that wants to get in front of this audience of highly ambitious Black women, go to the Flourish in the Foreign website, www.flourishintheforeign.com, and go to the contact page, drop me a line, and we can discuss how your business or organization can be promoted on this podcast. Four, please make sure you are sharing this podcast with all of your friends, either via email or social media. If you hear an episode that you really enjoy, please tweet about it, post it on IG, Facebook, drop the link for people so that people know what this podcast is about. And of course, personal recommendations are just so much stronger than really any other kind of marketing that I could do. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to be posting about this podcast and in particular about episodes that really resonate with you and tell people why they resonate with you and why they should check it out. Definitely tag the podcast at Flourish Foreign across all social media. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I will definitely repost. I love, love, love to see it. Make sure you are rating the podcast five stars and leaving a review. I love reading the reviews, y'all. Honestly, putting this podcast together, like I said, is labor, is labor, is is tough. I have life and, and work and putting on the podcast is, is tough sometimes. Like I told a lot of you, this is my first entry into podcasting. And so sometimes I'm just a little bit insecure. I'm just like, oh, I don't know if they're going to like it. I don't know. I don't know. So reading the reviews, y'all, honestly, it keeps me so motivated. It is just sunshine in my life, to be honest. So just keep on leaving your reviews. I love them. I so, so appreciate them. And I post them on Sundays, usually. 
on the Flourish and Foreign Instagram page. So as y'all know, this podcast shares the stories of Black women living abroad, but it also wants to help Black women to see themselves abroad. And I'm speaking at a really cool online summit called Exodus Summit. It is the sabbatical summit for Black women travelers. Yes. And it is all about supporting and educating Black women to go abroad. There are so many different ways to move abroad, to travel abroad, and perhaps you're looking for a way to do so. Maybe you're not quite ready yet to completely leap abroad. A sabbatical is an amazing way for you to take a pause on your current life and go explore a new country or several in a different way of living life. So this summit is going to be fantastic. Black women speakers really talking to you all about their personal sabbatical journeys, how to do a sabbatical, and everything in between. It is incredible. I was looking at the speakers list. I mean, it has some of your favorites from Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, from other podcasts. It is jam-packed. You do not want to miss it. And it is completely free. So make sure that you register with my link. Yes, use my link, which is in the show notes here on the website and in all the social media bios of Flourish the Forum so that they know that they heard about you from me. The summit is from September 21st to September 27th, and you have completely free access to all of the recordings and the speakers up until September 30th. There is a summit attendee Facebook group. So if you want to meet up with other people who are on the same wavelength as you, you can do that. Yes, you can do that. And if you want to purchase the entire pack of talks and all the other perks they have, The Exus Perks Pack includes access to session replays for two years, plus an audio-only version, so if you want to listen to it like a podcast. House Sitter School Course, which is from the amazing Stephanie of Vicarious. Yes, she's one of the hosts of this summit. And 30% discount from the Burnout to Bliss course and more, and more. There are so many different perks and courses. It is fantastic. If you're really serious about wanting to move abroad, if this is something that's been on your heart to do, definitely check out the Exodus Summit. It is going to blow your mind to see Black women telling you how they did it, how they took a sabbatical abroad, how they moved abroad, and how they are thriving So again, if you are interested in registering for the Exodus Summit, be sure to use the Flourish in the Foreign sign-up link. Yes, our sign-up link, which is in the show notes on the website and, of course, on the bios of all of our social media so they know that the podcast sent you. I just want to thank all of you listeners for listening to this podcast. It has been such an amazing journey, and I really appreciate your support. And because I love y'all so much, I want to actually do something for y'all, something a little bit special. So be sure to listen to the end of this podcast, and that's when I'm going to let you know what I'm going to do for all of y'all, because I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. All right, that's it for the support portion of this here show. Now, on to the next story. Today's story features Rachel. She is like the president of the young black professional crew here in Barcelona. She is fantastic. I met Rachel randomly, I think two years ago. I went to a party with a friend of mine and she was so friendly and so warm. She was like, do you live here? And I was like, yeah, I just moved here. And she was like, okay, yeah, you're part of the crew now. Like, that's it. I mean, she really does be plucking black people off the streets of Barcelona and just taking them underneath her wing. So I'm super excited to share her story and also share a different perspective of Barcelona. But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. My name is Rachel Victoria Brown. I'm from Kingston, Jamaica. I am currently 29. I'm going to be 
30 in December. I'm currently living in Barcelona. At 16, I moved to the US to study in boarding school. And ever since then, I've been traveling around the world. I've currently been to 30 countries. My goal is to go to as many countries as my age. And uh, now I'm living in Barcelona several years later. I asked Rachel to tell me about her experience going to boarding school in the United States, especially in the Midwest. When I went to boarding school, I went to a school in Hudson, Ohio. I don't know if you can tell, but Kingston, Jamaica and Hudson, Ohio, completely different in terms of everything, the weather, the food, the people, the culture. It was a bit of a culture shock and a difficult transition for me. I was going there to play tennis and study. And I remember it being September and me being in a winter coat on the tennis court. Everyone was laughing at me, making fun of me. I didn't really care because I was cold. And they kept saying it's going to get colder. And I did not believe it until November hit and I suffered. The school that I was at was predominantly white and not just that, but very, very wealthy white people. And so the lifestyle, just everything that we had access to, the type of schooling was completely, completely different. And I had to adjust, but I'm grateful for that experience because I was able to really understand another culture and different types of people that I might have to interact with eventually. So it was an anthropological experience for me, I think, um, an experiment as well. And I'm grateful for it. It was, it was just very different. I would always go home for holidays like Christmas and summer. Growing up in Jamaica, I had very strict parents. I have very strict parents. I still have a curfew. I'm almost 30. No boys are allowed in my room. But the culture and the vibe in Jamaica were just very vibrant people. There's always something going on. There's always something entertaining. It's a lot of color. It's a lot of spice and... It's just a great place to be, nature and all of those things. I asked Rachel to share with me her undergraduate university experience and her experience with Black Americans and Black American culture as a Jamaican. After boarding school, I went to undergrad at the University of Southern California, which was also a very different transition, but a better one this time. It was more of an upgrade, I think moving from Hudson to LA and undergrad was wonderful. I loved my undergraduate experience. I studied communication, pre-law emphasis, minor in Spanish, and I made some great lifelong friends there and I'm a proud Trojan. So Black American and Caribbean, the cultures are just, they're different, but you can see the similarities, right? I'm a firm believer that we're all originally from the same place in terms of Black people, you know, Africa. And so you can see the similarities in culture, but it's also very different at the same time. I was very involved in the black community at school because I prefer to be around black people. That's just where I'm comfortable. And uh, it was black people from all around the States and then a few international ones as well. And I learned a lot about African-American culture and uh, traditions. And that was fun. Things like soul food foods for Thanksgiving, that kind of stuff, dating, movies, everything possible. And it was fun. I think everyone really accepted me and accepted my differences and I fit in pretty well, which is a blessing. I didn't really have a culture shock because I just felt like family from a different place. During university, Rachel had the opportunity to study abroad twice and had two very different experiences. The first time I studied abroad, I was in Bilbao, Spain. So this is my second time living in Spain, which is in the Basque country, the north of Spain. And that was a wonderful experience. What I did, as usual, was find the African community, <laughs> which is what I do wherever I go, because that's just where I feel comfortable. And I met a lot of Angolans there who ended up well, they're still to this day like family to me, my brothers and my sisters, and we're very close. I wouldn't go out with the people in my study abroad group because they'd be going to clubs I didn't want to go to with music I didn't want to hear. Met some black party promoters and we were out. We were out on the weekends. We were eating African food and 
I was in Bilbao, but I feel like <laughs> I was somewhere else probably. Angola, Cameroon, and I got exposed to those cultures as well. I'm grateful for that too. And then I also studied in Argentina, completely different experience. So as I said, I always seek out the African or the black community wherever I am. And I could not find them in Argentina. <laughs> I don't know where they are to this day. Oh yeah, they killed them in the war. I remember that piece of history. You have to understand Argentina's history with black people. So during the war, they sent all black men to the front lines of the war, which is basically a legal and easy way to eradicate a race. Send them to the front lines. They were all killed. And then all the black families kind of died out after that because there was nobody to reproduce with. In addition to that, a lot of people from the Holocaust, the German soldiers, took solace in Argentina because they were welcomed there. They were able to hide there. And so a lot of Nazis are still in Argentina. Descendants of Nazis are still there living their best lives. And also Argentinians don't like to be seen as South American. They see themselves more as European. So there's this whole anti-color, anti-black, anti-everything except the pure white vibe, which I, I hate. And I hated Argentina. I will never go back. Just very strong feelings towards that place. It was not, not good for me. I faced what I usually face in terms of racism and then the overall sexualization of a black woman. And I hated that because most of the black women there, the few ones there are, are prostitutes, unfortunately, which is kind of similar to what's happening um, here in Barcelona and other parts of Europe. I think that narrative is shifting now. But in Argentina, majority of black women, the few there are, are prostitutes. And so men would try to solicit me on the road and of course you know I'm Jamaican when I really deal with that so that was a mess also my host mother was very racist my first night in her house she said oh you must be so grateful for slavery because without slavery you wouldn't be here and I had to question whether or not I was understanding Spanish as well as I thought I was because there was no way in hell she said what she said, but she did. And she meant it. And throughout my stay, she treated me pretty badly. She would give me different food from the other girls staying in her house. It was like slop. I have the pictures and the evidence somewhere. And uh, she never wanted me around her husband ever. And yeah, it was just a very traumatic and horrible experience. My school was supportive. The problem was the timing and also the lack of available alternatives in terms of places for me to go. It was just kind of hard to find another host mother last minute. And if I was to leave her house, I would have to find accommodations on my own, which was difficult at the time in Argentina. Not many things were available, especially in a central area. Also, I would have to pay the difference. And I didn't have money at the time as a student. So I just had to stay there. I stayed out of the house as much as possible or just locked in my room as much as possible. And then after, well, they told me that they took action against her and she would never be able to host again. I really do hope that that was the case. But my school was supportive. They were very apologetic. I wish there was more that they could have done. But, you know, that's just life. It's the first time I've ever left a country I've lived in. And literally just ran to the airport so ready to go. Not looking back. I will never be back. It's the only time that's ever happened. I'm still traumatized. I was curious to know what Rachel did after she received her undergraduate degree. After undergrad, I went to law school. I went to Wake Forest for law school, which was another, I guess, black experience for me, as usual. So I was in BALSA, BLSA, Black Law Students Association. And then I also worked a bit with the Caribbean students on campus. But yeah, it was also another PWI. I've only been to PWIs my whole life outside of Jamaica. And that was tough for me because the South, way first in North Carolina. The South, the South is 
oh, all so different from LA. So all my transitions have just been extreme. Here I was in the south, driving around Winston-Salem, seeing Confederate flags in front yards and uh, just not feeling safe ever. I remember there was an incident on campus where someone put up a noose in the library and other instances with nooses around campus. People were drawing swastikas on buildings and just stuff like that, you know, and you're supposed to be in a safe place and safe environment with educated people and people think that educated people are not racist because it makes no sense logically, but that's not the case. That's not reality. So being in the South was tough for me personally and I also plan to never go back to North Carolina except to visit my uncle who lives in Charlotte, which is pretty different from Winston-Salem. I asked Rachel how her career progressed once she graduated from law school. And just as a disclaimer, this next part contains graphic descriptions of torture. So after law school, I went to Kenya to work on the Mama reparations case. And that was a life-changing experience for me. Just also traumatic. I've really been through a lot of trauma. Like, why? Why is my life so traumatic? I don't know. Because I was speaking with people who were personally and physically affected by what had been done to them by the British. So the British came in, they tried to take the land from the Kenyans. Um, the Kenyans resisted, some of them, especially the Mau Mau. Others just gave over the land because we know the history, we stand no chance kind of thing. And the Mau Mau fought back. The British didn't like that and began to torture them. And when I say torture, I mean torture beyond. It's to this, like a sick level, a sick level of torture. I remember one of the worst cases that I saw was of a family. So it was a mother, father, a daughter and a son. And basically the British soldiers came in and had the father have sex with his daughter in front of the mother and then have the mother have sex with her son in front of the father. The mother killed herself the next day and I was speaking to the son and as he's recounting, um, talking to these people and just trying to maintain my composure and be professional, which was very difficult for me because how could I, like, how could I possibly? And so I'm crying in all my interviews. I remember being with people talking to me about how the British had cut off their limbs and I'm looking at their hands and their fingers are missing and I know exactly when they lost them and how they lost them. There was another guy who, the British had fire ants, an anthill, dug up the anthill a little bit, put honey on his penis, had him lie face down in the anthill. Things like this that you just would not... Like, how do you even think of these things? And to be honest with you, that's part of what has shaped my experience and perception and feelings towards white people in general. I've never trusted them. I've never trusted them and I don't really like them either, to be honest. And, and I know some people have an issue with that or might think that that's wrong. But these have been my experiences and these are the things that have shaped my feelings. Because I don't understand what kind of person, what kind of person would do things like this. And as you've seen, like I've had recurring, recurring instances wherever I've been. It doesn't matter where I am in the world. I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. And yeah, so Kenya was traumatic for me. That was post-law school. And once I was done with my work there, I went back to the US and was working in Atlanta for a bit for victims of domestic violence. Atlanta, my home city. I, of course, had to ask Rachel, what did she think of the 404, the ATO? And what was her experience in the city? Atlanta was fun, but also difficult for me because I knew I was working towards going to Barcelona to do my PhD. And basically, I had no money. I had no money at all. It was pretty difficult to get a job. So I was working with the 
Atlanta Victims Assistance Program there at one of the courts on Peachtree. And that was a great experience for me, but also just difficult speaking to victims of domestic violence and advocating on their behalf in court. And I wasn't earning that much at the time. So what I was doing in Atlanta was trying to save not just for my plane ticket in Barcelona, but my school fees and life, rent and all that. Rent is expensive here. And so I was working like three jobs. I'm always working like three jobs. I think people say that's a Jamaican thing. I'm not sure if it is, (laughs) but if it is, it makes sense. So I was working at restaurants, I was working at Atlanta Victims Assistance as well, and I was working with another youth program just trying to save up and get everything intact. I'm really grateful for my friend Derry who allowed me to stay on her couch for like two months. I remember there were a few nights where I didn't have anywhere to go and I had to spend the night in my car, like go to a YMCA shower there, go to work and act like everything was good. Show up in my suit, you know, looking like I have everything together. I really did not. So Atlanta, and I started off by saying it was fun, which shows that in spite of all of these things, I really did have a good time there. Why? Because there were black people. It made my whole situation and life just a lot easier. I have really good friends in Atlanta that helped to take care of me and help lift me up when I needed it. Also, my boss was great and uh, I'm grateful for her. And then the vibe, there were just so many things that were available. Like I could go to an African club if I wanted to, a Jamaican club if I wanted to, just poetry night with all black people. And I love that vibe and that energy, not to mention the diversity in the food. Oh, to be able to have Jamaican food whenever and Ethiopian food, everything that I like, vegan food that actually tastes good, it it was great. It's a great place to be. I just uh, didn't really want to be there much longer because I'm, I'm not a big fan of America. I left Atlanta maybe a month or two before Trump was elected and... I told everyone he was going to be elected. Nobody believed me at the time. And I was like, all right, you guys have fun. I'm I'm out. Bye. (laughs) And lo and behold, he was elected and I was grateful to have left. But I think Atlanta was one of the most fun places for me to live in the U.S. Blackness is clearly important to me and important in my environment. So after all of that, I had to ask Rachel... Girl, how did you end up in Barcelona? Yeah, there's no no real black people here. You know what happened? When I was studying in Bilbao in 2011, I took a trip to Barcelona because it was close and it's Barcelona. When I was here, I met a group of African guys who I hung out with my entire trip. And this is the problem. This is this is the problem, right? I'm with these African guys the entire trip. And of course, the Senegalese and Gambian people, they only hang out with Senegalese and Gambians. And so I'm like, oh, this is cool. They took me to a dance hall club. It was mostly black people, Africans in there. I wish I knew which club they had taken me to. Because I don't think I've been able to find it ever again. And... Uh, It was a vibe. It was a vibe. I was completely oblivious to all the whiteness around me and to everything else that was happening because I was with them and just completely present in the moment. And so I think I thought it wouldn't be that bad. And I applied to different programs. I knew I wanted to do my PhD, but not in the US. So I applied to different programs around the world. My choices ended up being between Canada, London and Barcelona. And the advisor here, when I did my interview with her, she was the only female advisor that I interviewed with. And she was my favorite. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to Barcelona. I loved it the last time. So it will probably be great. And I came and it, it has been great, but it has been different. Living here, this is the longest I've ever lived in one city other than Kingston. 
I'm happy that I came here and of course I've found my black community and black family here and that has made life just much better. I asked Rachel what her first year of living in Barcelona was like. So within my first year, I started the Barcelona Black Students and Young Professionals Association, which is not a like formal thing. That's just the name that we came up with. And it has expanded ever since. Why? Because I felt like I wasn't seeing black people other than Monteros or the girls on the street. And I wasn't really having that kind of student community that I'm used to at my schools. There was no black students, anything at my school, my UAB. And so I wanted to find other black students around and connect with them. And not just black students, I mean, it's everybody, students and young professionals from all around the world. I started just literally just picking people <laughs> from the street <laughs> or people would introduce me to other people or I'm part of No Madness. They would come in and introduce me to their friends, that kind of thing. And then what we did was we would find local events and experience them together. So that made everything much easier. I also looked for black groups and organizations here, like Black Barcelona and uh, the Bibs group, Barcelona International Black Sisterhood. Adjusting was difficult. One of... One of the things I did in terms of my home environment was to start getting my art up on the walls, art I've collected over the years, up on the walls. So that when I come into my house, it's kind of this more homey, black vibe. Also cooking, cooking food from home, cooking food with seasoning because yeah, oh, they don't really understand the concept of seasoning here, unfortunately. Some people do but most of them don't and so all of those things those are the spaces that I kind of entered to feel a little more comfortable. So Rachel just used the term mantero and I asked her to explain what the term mantero means for all of you that might not be familiar. So manteros are well men. A manta is a blanket right and so they call them the manteros because they sell items on blankets outside. And a lot of times when they're persecuted or, I guess, chased by police, what they'll do is just grab the four corners of the blanket with all of the stuff inside and run um, with it, pick it up easy. A lot of them are Senegalese and Gambian. And they're here, most of them, I would say, are here illegally, unfortunately, but it's not because they want to be here illegally and because there's racism as well. And so they're living this kind of life of exclusion, which is unfortunate. They have each other, but the Catalan society has not accepted them. I talked to a lot of them. A lot of them have, you know, had meals with me or invited me for meals and What's crazy is a lot of them are actually very educated. Um, some of them are doctors in their country or engineers or lawyers. And they've come here and they're having a very difficult time just trying to survive. Most of them have the plan to earn and then go back to their country, support their family. I asked Rachel whether she felt that the Catalan, the Spanish politics affects her day-to-day -day life living here in Barcelona. So, local politics. <laughs> I was here for the referendum and everything that was happening in 2017. The politics have affected me in terms of, I guess, the tensions in the city, just the overall energy of the place. I'm a person who's very sensitive to energy and vibes, so... When I'm walking on the street, everybody is tense, everybody is angry. Some people are pro-independence, some people are against independence. So the Catalan people, some of them, want independence from Spain. However, Spain hasn't allowed them to even vote on whether or not they can be independent. And many people have issues with that because that is against democracy in general and I think many people have expressed to me that they would have been fine if 
they had allowed them to vote and the majority had said no to independence. It was the fact that they were denied of their rights to vote that caused this problem. And in 2017, they decided to have the referendum in spite of the fact that the Spanish government said they could not. They decided to vote. The Spanish government sent the military in to stop the voting. Many citizens were injured because of the injuries and the violence from the Spanish government. The Catalan people rebelled or tried to fight back. That didn't end very well. Politicians were imprisoned and uh, it's just caused a lot of tension everywhere. It has affected me because in my work, so I'm teaching and I'm also consulting for a few companies. I work with Catalan people. And so what has been interesting is the classes. Some people are pro-independent, some are, are not. And then others are just extremely, extremely Catalan, pro-Catalonia, pro. And so it's it's been difficult for me in that sense to balance and to be sensitive and to understand how to act. So my research focuses on the impact of social media activism, law and society. And one of the case studies for my research is the Catalan independence movement. So I'm super nerdy with this thing now. But I realized how much of an outsider I am during, during this time when they were fighting for independence. There were certain things that happened. For example, I went in to one of my classes, which was off Diagonal, which is one of the main roads here in Barcelona. Went in for the class, taught the class, and as I'm exiting the class, it was like the apocalypse. I came outside, everything was dark, and there were just candles everywhere, people with candles, candles every singing and chanting, and the whole, there were literally thousands of people on the street just blocking the entire diagonal and i had no idea this was about to happen so as a black person now i come out of this place it's dark people out there with fire and i'm freaking out because i don't know what is happening and so somebody explained you know they're just protesting against the political prisoners and they want them to come out that kind of thing and the roads were blocked and i was like how am i gonna get home <laughs> So it's minor things like that that have happened, but they have affected me in some way. More than anything, it's shown me that I'm really not, you know, fully a part of society. I'm still excluded because nobody sent me a WhatsApp message to say <laughs> there was going to be a protest. I was completely unaware. I asked Rachel what has been her experience as a black woman in Barcelona. So my experience as a black woman in Barcelona has been, I want to say, pretty insightful into life and people and just everything in general, even myself. I'm grateful for the community I have here. Everyone is like my brother, my sister. We really feel like a family, at least to me. And I love when we get together and it's just wonderful and beautiful and good vibes all the time. In terms of interactions with those who are not black, that has been something I've had to adjust to again. Things like people touching my hair, which I have a problem with, or making racist remarks, or even the black face in the parades here. That those are things that really upset me and are hard for me to deal with, but part of the reality. As a PhD student, it's been difficult. Once I finish with this PhD, I will have been the first black woman to graduate with a PhD from my department, which is kind of a big deal, at least for them. And many people have said this to me. I don't even know about other departments, but that adds a lot of pressure. And I think it adds a lot of pressure because it's part of the reason I've been doing this degree. It's to show other black people around the world that it's possible, that they can and that they should. And so that's been interesting. Also being probably the only black person in my faculty has been interesting. I'm not really on campus that much, but whenever I am, it's very, you know, evident and obvious. Um, consulting for companies, that has also been shaped by my blackness. Because I'm young, black, and female. So there's just three, <laughs> three things where 
they're like, who, who are you? Why are you here? I come into classrooms and of course I'm professionally dressed, but people usually have to get over the initial shock that I'm going to be teaching them or consulting for them. Bigger companies, pharmaceutical companies and huge businesses. These people are, you know, a little taken aback at first, especially if they're higher ranked officials like the CEOs or head of marketing, head of digital, whatever that I'm coming in, this this little black girl is about to be teaching me something, it, it blows their mind and it's very obvious within the first few minutes of class, but after a while, things kind of settle and, well, they see why I'm in the position I'm in, which is good. In terms of balancing everything, that has been tough for me. I, I don't understand I'm an overachiever, but I'm very active generally. I'm doing a lot. So I'm doing my PhD. I am consulting for companies. I'm also teaching English for another company and then doing some freelancing with English classes for kids. And I also have my nonprofit, which I'm running from Barcelona and it's in Jamaica, part of another nonprofit, which I'm the vice president of. And I have the group here and I'm trying to organize events and bring everybody together. And then I have my family stuff and I have life. So it's, it's a lot on my plate consistently. And I, I try to stray away from the stereotype that black women are superwomen, but we are. We shouldn't have to be, honestly, but we really are. And so, yeah, I'm just trying to make my sisters proud and my family proud and live my best life. That's really all I'm trying to do out here. I want to know more about Rachel's PhD program. So I asked her to explain what was her program about and how long it was going to take her to earn her doctorate. My program, so part of the reason I wanted to do this one is because of the length of time. A PhD could take anywhere from like four to seven years or nine or 10 or 11. just depends on the person. And so... This program allows you to get your PhD once you already have a master's degree in the same subject within three years. I am almost at the three and a half year mark. So three years is the minimum. Maximum, I think, is seven. The title of my thesis is The Impact of Social Media Activism on the Law and Society. Within that thesis, I'm studying the Black Lives Matter movement and the Catalan independence movement. And I'm comparing results from the participants of each movement, as well as a few Google Trends analysis to show consistency or to see consistency over time of the movements. And then the goal is to develop a formula for a successful social media movement, because everyone has a social media movement nowadays. Once you're Engaging in activism in any form, you're utilizing social media. The question is, how do you utilize it to the best of your ability and be as effective and impactful as possible? One example I always use is the ice bucket challenge. Everybody participated in the ice bucket challenge, but most people still don't know what it was about or what it was for. Like if I ask somebody what ALS is, or what Lou Gehrig's disease is, and they participate in the ice bucket challenge, they wouldn't be able to tell me. Most people also didn't donate. So it's things like that, determining how to avoid results <laughs> like the ice bucket challenge, which, I mean, it was widespread. A lot of people participated, but to what effect? Like, how did it help? So I'm, I'm looking at movements and trying to figure out how they can be as effective as possible because I... I'm an activist and I believe in activism and I believe it should be effective. And just as an update, since Rachel and I recorded several months before this episode was published, Rachel has successfully 
defended her thesis. So that is actually Dr. Rachel Brown to all of y'all. If you if you haven't noticed yet, she is busy and she is also so generous and she has one nonprofit that she's running from Barcelona that is in Jamaica and she is also a part of another nonprofit and I asked her to share more about both of them. The nonprofit I have in Jamaica is the Arimical Foundation. We started in 2013, started it with my friend Ludlow, who was in business school while I was in law school. And uh, we are basically serving underprivileged and underrepresented youth in Jamaica, along with other people. We currently work with six different children's homes. One is Dare to Care, which is a home for kids with HIV and AIDS. Mary's Child, which is a home for abandoned babies. St. Anthony's, the home for pregnant teens. Martha's House, the home for girls. Matthew 2540, which is a home for boys with special needs. And Jamaica National Children's Home, which is a home for rescued street youth. We do all of these programs and we mostly have them under the categories of environmental sustainability and agriculture. We've st- installed farms and gardens at the different homes and also chicken coops so that they can have eggs and chickens (laughs) that they can also sell and get profit from to help sustain the homes. Women's empowerment had a lot of events in that light with mentorship and just giving the girls the skills that they need to succeed and to thrive and just lift them up. Also performing arts, dance, drama, music, um, sports football, mostly the visual arts. We've painted a lot of murals around Jamaica and also within the children's homes and education. So we've been involved in many literacy programs, teaching kids how to read, helping them with homework and also doing college workshops, getting them into college and that kind of stuff. We started with I want to say about 30 volunteers. Now we have 100 volunteers and we started serving about 50 kids. Now we're serving about 350 kids. We've also done programs that are servicing the elderly and the homeless. We've done a lot of feedings for homeless people in Jamaica, feeding 100 people at a time. And yeah, we're just trying to make Jamaica better, honestly, and then ultimately the world so we're also expanding to florida currently and doing work with kids in florida there especially those of jamaican descent the other organization is global united diaspora which started i want to say in 2018 and we are a collective of individuals from around the diaspora in different fields seeking to give back to our respective communities and homes and anybody from the diaspora that is in need of help. We're working in the areas of health and sustainability, women's empowerment, community development. And we've done projects in Dominica, Kenya, and Ghana recently, where we were invited to host a nonprofit conference as part of the year of return last August. And that was great. And so, yeah, we're just black people giving back to black people as it should be trying to eliminate this white savior complex. And it's been good. It's been good. It's kept me busy. I asked Rachel, what has been her experience dating in Barcelona? See, my dating life is kind of complicated because I think through undergrad, well, high school, boarding school, undergrad, law school, and then starting here, I was always in a relationship. So I never really did the dating thing. Oof, dating in Barcelona. I think it's tough, especially if you want to be with a black man. As a black woman, like if you want to be with a black man or have a black spouse, it's tough because there aren't any options, really. What I've seen with my really good friends or like my sisters, they found their guys, you know, beautiful black love couples on the Tinder. And what I think, based on everybody else's, experiences on the tinder i personally think that my two sisters probably found the only two good ones (laughs) on the entire app i'm a little bit scared to try anything like that so i i wouldn't have done it but they have done it and 
they were successful. So I guess it's possible. I just don't know if it's probable because everybody else has told me there's nothing out there. And you can see that on the streets. There just aren't many black men available. And the black men that are there are with white women. But right now, I'm not really looking. I think this would not be a good place to look, though, <laughs> if I were. <laughs> not a good place. <laughs> I asked Rachel if she could describe cost of living here in Barcelona, which I think is really important because Spain in general has a reputation for being quite affordable. But, you know, Barcelona's a big city. It's a big cosmopolitan European city. And it is different than the rest of Spain. Cost of living. For me, I think it's pretty high. But I think it's a, a high standard of life in terms of what is available. Fresh produce, fresh meat, fruits and veggies that come from the farms. Also, the access to nature, like the beach and the mountains, they're, you know, surrounding you constantly. I live in Barcelona, which is right by the beach. And I love living here because of that. Rent is pretty high. You can find something more affordable, but it's you have to really search. It's difficult to find housing here, in my experience. And uh, yeah, I think everything is kind of high. Honestly, light bills are not that bad. Gas bills are not that bad. But rent is expensive. Water is not expensive. Internet, kind of expensive. Everything else, yeah... You can get by. I also like about Barcelona is that there are alternatives and then there's loopholes and then there's easy ways to get what you need to get. You want to go to a club, you don't want to pay the cover. Just make friends with the guy at the door, you'll be fine. There are lots of free events as well, a lot of community-based events that you can go to. The restaurants, the food can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be. It just depends on where you go. Also, they have things like Groupon. I love Groupon wherever I, <laughs> wherever I am. Big up Groupon. You can save a lot of money that way. Yeah, and the standard of living, quality of life, I, I think it's pretty high, at least for me currently and compared to other situations I've been in. And I, yeah, I like it. I like it. I just wish there were more black people. I asked Rachel where she saw herself in the foreseeable future. And if not Barcelona, where did she see herself? I honestly think this is going to be my last year here. I'm ready to go. What's going to suck is leaving. Like my sisters here in particular who I love and I'm super close to. I don't know how that would work. I don't have any clue where I'm going to go either. There's nowhere I have in mind. I just feel like this is not the place that I want to be forever. Um... So I'm going to tell you places that have come close. London has come close. What does London have that is not part of my ideal plan? The weather is terrible and there is no beach. Also, it's very expensive. Those three things kind of make London not ideal. Ghana. Ghana has come close as well. What's the problem with Ghana? I think there's a lack of organization and structure. Just a huge disparity in terms of the different classes and also I think it should be a little bit more developed based on the potential that it has but I mean you know we could work on that my ideal place has tons of black people from all over the world different members of the diaspora has all the food options <laughs> from those places it is warm it is clean, it is safe, it has a beach and mountains. There is a lot of opportunity for upward mobility. I could earn well there. I could have land there, property, and build on it and invest in other properties pretty easily. It wouldn't be too expensive. And there'd be a lot of high achieving and successful black people. It wouldn't be an anomaly for a black person to succeed. It wouldn't be an anomaly for a black woman to lead. Tons of culture, tons of vibes, tons of options um, in terms of entertainment and activities. 
yeah that that's my ideal place if anybody knows where that is please let me know let me know with the quickness because i'm i'm ready ready to be there i asked rachel to explain her concept of wellness and how living outside of her home country and living abroad had affected her practice her concept of wellness my definition or perception of wellness is balance in one word it would be balance and then also just the ability to choose the ability to have options that to me is wellness stability security peace and options but in one word it would be balance so for me wellness is being able to have everything that you need in order to flourish and succeed and feel at peace to feel one to feel whole to feel happy and not just happy but to feel joy like pure joy from a soul place and a soul perspective to feel like you don't need anything else. That to me is wellness. Whatever that might be and whatever might give you that feeling or that state. My wellness has looked like taking rest when I need it. It's yoga. It's meditation. It's good food. It's being able to pay my rent. It's the love and relationships that I have with those who are close to me. It's being able to go to the beach when I want. It's sunshine and heat. It's just all those things. All those things. Being around my people, being able to eat what I want. Just be happy. That's that's my version of wellness. Yes, what a great episode. Thank you so much, Rachel. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to keep up with Rachel, you can via her social media. My Facebook on social media is Rachel Arlix Brown. I think you can still message me. I might get the message. Um, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L-A-A-R-L-I-X Brown, like the color. You can also find my nonprofit at everymickleja, so at E-V-E-R-Y-M-I-K-K-L-E-J-A. You can send us a DM and it will get to me. <laughs> or check out the website, www.everymicklefoundation.org. Check out Good as well at Global U Diaspora on Instagram. Thank you again for listening. And like I said, I'm going to do something really special for all of you amazing listeners. I am actually going to open up the live Q&As with our podcast guests to everyone, to everyone that listens. All you have to do is make sure that you are signed up to the Flourish community. There are links in all the social media bios across social media channels, and you can sign up on the website. I will not be spamming y'all. I barely have time to produce this here show, so don't worry about that. But I will let you know when these lives are happening, how you can sign up for them, and who it's going to be with. Just to let you know, these women are all around the world, so the times may not work out for you. You may have to stay up late or get up early. If you miss one, the replays of these lives will be exclusively for our Patreon. So if you miss it, don't worry. Become a Patreon. I think it's the third tier, and you can have access to all the other benefits of all the other tiers and also the live replays as well. So that's just a thank you from me to you. The first one is this Sunday. Yes, this Sunday. So do not miss out if you want to catch this live. This Sunday is with Adelia, the country shopper. So if you want to chat it up with Adelia, remember she talked about FU money. Yes, that's Adelia. If you want to talk to her more about her experience across the many countries she's lived in and now she's based in Mexico City, be sure to sign up to the Flourish in the Foreign community. So if you enjoyed this episode and if you enjoyed this podcast, please support the podcast via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash flourishforeign. Again, shout out to all of my Patreons because now we're up to eight Patreon supporters. Yes, eight. And I told y'all once we get to 10 Patreon supporters, I'm actually going to drop 
a second episode of the podcast in the same week. Lord help me, but I'm going to get it done. I'm going to drop it. So shout out to all my Patreon supporters. I appreciate y'all. Also, if you are interested in taking the leap abroad or perhaps just taking that first step and maybe interested in taking a sabbatical, definitely check out Exodus Summit. The link to the Exodus Summit registration is in the show notes on the website and in the social media bios. Please, again, use the Flourish in the Foreign link so that everyone knows that you came from the podcast. It's important. So thank you for that. And if you identify as a woman of color podcaster, maybe you're a newbie, maybe you have been podcasting since the beginning of podcasting, who knows, definitely be sure to check out the WOC Podcasters Insiders Membership. Podcasting has been such a game changer for me. As you guys all know, this is my first attempt into podcasting and I am very much still a newbie and don't be knowing what I'm doing half the time. But podcasting has changed the game for me. As I told y'all, I'm a business strategist and podcasting has allowed me to connect and network with women all over the world, has opened up so many different opportunities professionally and personally for me. So if you have a podcast and you want to perhaps take it to the next level, or perhaps you're looking for another way to elevate your business brand or personal brand, and you want to begin podcasting, I definitely, definitely recommend checking out WOC Podcasters Insiders Membership. It is a fantastic membership. I am a member of it, and I think it really provides a lot of great information about all the different aspects of podcasting. And it's a great community to bounce ideas off of. And you have a bunch of other fairly ambitious women of color podcasters who are really doing the damn thing. Very inspirational. And they're willing to open up their playbook and share it with you. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, you know, being able to, I don't know, kind of have like the cheat codes to podcasting. Go ahead, check out the WOC Podcasters Insiders membership. And of course, use the Flourish in the Foreign affiliate link. It is at no extra cost to you. Another way to support this podcast. Definitely use our link that is found in the show notes. Also, on the website, and of course, in all of our social media bios. I'll see y'all there. Again, thank you to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this podcast. Zachary is an exceptional artist and producer. So if y'all need some new music for perhaps your new podcast or your YouTube channel, he is definitely your guy. I'm gonna leave all of his information in the show notes. So... I am going to try to do this little wellness word thing, I think, at the end of the show. Y'all tell me if you like it or not. I don't know. If you don't like it, I'm going to stop doing it. But if you do like it, I'll keep on going. So this week's wellness word was actually inspired by my very first guest and a dear friend of mine, Niana. If you haven't heard her episode, y'all need to go ahead and go back to episode number one. Because she really launched this podcast. Let me tell you, she launched the podcast. People were like, what? This is a great podcast. I was like, she's a really great person. That's why I like the podcast. But she really launched this podcast. So always thank you to her. But something that I've been thinking about is something that she mentioned in her episode, which was wanting to go abroad to heal herself and to allow herself the space to grieve from the passing of her mother and to come back to herself and I feel that living abroad can do that for us now living abroad is just adulting in a different country in a different language like don't mistake that it is just that but having a different society having a different lifestyle can allow us to give ourselves permission right the permission was always there but it can actually allow us to give ourselves permission to take the time to heal. And, you know, a different society can actually physically give us the time to do the things that we need to do to sit with grief, to allow healing to happen, 
to allow us to embody the selves that we have always known we were and perhaps in our home country aren't allowed to express. And so for this week, I want us to think about what is it that we have not been able to grieve because grief is really powerful. And I have to tell you, moving abroad, you will grieve. I I grieved a lot and I grieved in stages because I grieved moving abroad, being away from the home that I knew, friends and family. And then there came a moment when I knew I I would not be returning to my home country to live. And I had to grieve that. And there's sadness, I think. I want people to know the truth of it. You can be living your best damn life and thriving abroad and still be experiencing a grief for your home country because perhaps your move abroad was willing or unwilling or perhaps your ability to move back home is just not possible physically or mentally. Perhaps you just like, I, I can't subject myself to that. I can't willingly subject myself to whatever is happening. And there's a grieving that happens. And so I want you all to recognize that and to sit with it so that you can then allow the healing to happen. And that's the wellness word for this week. If you liked it, shoot me a message and tell me you liked it. And if you're like, girl, just stick to the podcast, go ahead and send me a message too. I'm not going to be mad. Send me a message if you liked it, if you did it. So I will include it or I won't. All right. That's it for this week. Take care of yourself. Be gentle with yourself. See you next week. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I was looking at my kids' menu. They just like sent it home with her yesterday. And I was like, okay, they're going to have mushroom crepes. And yesterday they had white fish with thyme and lemon and spinach with cream. It's like a gastronomic experience, which is just really funny. When I think about school lunches back in Indiana, I'm like, what? Like pizza. I think it's just really cool. It's a time for them to explore foods, but also they're learning how to be a proper functioning member of French society in the terms of manners and stuff like that. They teach their kids from a very young age. You always say hello to someone. You always kiss, kiss your family. Well, not during COVID. How to say your pleases, your thank yous.